Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning as we celebrate our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ together. We have Legacy Journey coming up. You should have an insert in your bulletin about that. If you're familiar with Dave Ramsey, Financial Peace, Legacy Journey is the next step in the journey, and we've had quite a few Financial Peace classes, and we'll continue to do that. But we have a Legacy Journey class coming up starting the 16th during the 10.30 hour on Sunday mornings for six weeks. So it'll go April 16th through May 21st. And it's probably not as well known as Financial Peace. But I want to encourage you, it's so important. God looks at how we handle our finances as something very, very vital in our lives. And so this is a great way to grow in that, to be encouraged in that. It uses the theme, us, them, now, then. And it will be great benefit to you. So I encourage you to sign up for that out in the foyer. If you have questions, uh, you can uh, put a little note on the sign up or you can contact the church office. We'll tell you more about that. And again, it's called the Legacy Journey. And so that begins the 16th of this month. And I trust we have a good number of people signing up for that. It will benefit you and encourage you in your walk with Christ. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, may we recognize that you alone are God. And you are on the throne as we celebrate Passion Week, as we consider the incredible sacrifice of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us today to recognize the importance of our relationship with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we celebrate what's called Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry as Jesus Christ entered Jerusalem at the beginning of what we consider Passion Week. We find the story in the Gospels of this triumphal entry. One, one of the Gospels, Matthew in chapter 21, shares the story in verses 8 and 9, and it says this, and a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And we celebrate the triumphal entry and try to picture in our minds what that may have looked like. And while the triumphal entry points to Jesus' royalty and it connects with the Old Testament prophecies that, that fulfilled this part of Jesus' life and ministry, there's another aspect of the story that connects with Paul's instruction that we're looking at today in Colossians chapter 2. You see, if you fast forward a few days from that triumphal entry, we see a, a whole different attitude from those who just a few days earlier had welcomed Jesus to Jerusalem with pomp and circumstance. And again, we find that in the Gospels, one of the accounts found in Matthew chapter 27, 
beginning in verse 15. It says, Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. So what was happening as they were, the Jews had tried Jesus, and now they brought him before Pilate because they needed to have the Roman stamp of approval in order to crucify someone. And so they brought Jesus before Pilate, and, and Pilate is hearing this false testimony, and he's seeing that he is in a dilemma because Jesus, he knows, is not guilty, but yet he sees the emotion of the crowd and the power of the religious leaders, and he's sort of in a difficult spot. So he comes up with this idea. They had the, the custom of releasing one prisoner. And so continuing on in verse 16, it says, and at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ. Now, he thought Barabbas is such a bad dude, obviously they're going to say, we don't want Barabbas on the streets. However, verse 18, he goes on, or the Matthew's account goes on, for he knew that they had handed him Jesus over because of envy. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, have nothing to do with that just Man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said to him, Let him be crucified. The people there went from celebrating Jesus as king to calling for his death. The pressure and the persuasion of the religious leaders swayed the attitude and the actions of the people. And we see the power that they had to influence the people. Here in Colossians chapter 2, as we continue on in our series rooted looking through the book of Colossians, we see in, in verses 8, and 10, 8 through 10 of chapter 2 that Paul warns of this persuasion as he compares the empty philosophy of the false teachers to the fullness of God in Christ. Follow along as I read Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, it says this. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him, that's in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. So we see this warning and a comparison between empty philosophy and the fullness of Christ. Empty philosophy, Paul warns of that in verse 8. We see that he begins with the word beware. A command to take notice. Be on guard. 
Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. Now, as we all know, we're in the midst of Easter season, an incredible celebration of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But as you walk into stores, what do you see? You see Easter candy. You see Cadbury eggs. You see chocolate. Lots of chocolate. And some of you may prepare Easter baskets for your children. But uh, I need to warn you of something. I need to warn you of the chocolate bunny. We have a picture of him up here. It's a trick. And I remember as a kid, we would, we would get some Easter candy and we would usually get a chocolate bunny, but there was usually a trick involved with the chocolate bunny. Do you know what the trick was? They were almost all hollow. Every once in a while you find the solid chocolate bunny. And I remember as a kid, you see this bunny, and I mean, it was, it was, it was this tall. And I'm thinking, wow, how many Hershey bars equals that chocolate bunny? But then I'd take it out of the box or the wrapper and I'd take my first bite and it'd sort of crumble. It still tasted good, don't get me wrong. But I come to find out it's 98% air and 2% chocolate wasn't quite what I was expecting. And Paul uses that same picture. Now, I don't think he was thinking of a chocolate bunny at the time. But he uses that same picture talking about worldly philosophy. It was empty. In fact, if you look at the NIV translation there in verse 8, it says that it is hollow and deceptive philosophy. It's hollow. It's empty. And Paul was warning these people, make sure you see and beware of the false teaching, the hollow philosophy of the world. He warns them, don't be cheated. That term cheat in the Greek means to take captive or to control. The false teachers taught to sought to capture or control the people through their philosophy, through their hollow deception. Also uses the term there in verse 8, deceit or deception, which means fraud. You've all probably faced some attempts at deception in your life if you've ever answered the telephone, right? Right? It's amazing all of the things that you can be promised, but it's not really true. And Paul was warning them, listen, beware of this hollow philosophy of the deceit, of the fraud of these false teachers who are teaching you something that doesn't add up. They would use the same words, but with an entirely different meaning. An example of the deception today is seen in many of the cults. They use Christian terminology 
with much different meanings. In fact, if you you study the cults, you'll find that a large percentage of the people who are drawn into cults have a Christian background and and they hear the words. The same words, but a whole different meaning. And Paul was concerned that this false teaching would persuade them from following Christ. And so in verse 8, Paul shares two avenues that they were using to, uh, to purport their false teaching. The first is the tradition of men. The Jewish leaders were famous for this. They would, they would add traditions and eventually they were governed by the traditions rather than by God. Jesus talked about this a lot as He was here on earth during His earthly ministry. In Mark chapter 7, verses 8 and 9, we see a, a discussion between Jesus and some of these religious leaders as they were proponents of their of their traditions. And Jesus says this, He says, For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. The washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. He said to them, Jesus again speaking, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your traditions. You see, their traditions overtook the truth of God. Throughout His earthly ministry, Jesus warned of the danger of following the tradition set out by the religious leaders. They would measure to the, to the very carefully, they would measure all of these things they would do. They would have these special ceremonial cleansing and, and on the outside, they looked good. But in the inside, they were rotten. He, he used the picture of whitewashed tombs. You have to understand in the Jewish tradition, if you touched anything dead, it was unclean and there was serious issues about that and you would have to go through all of these uh, cleansings, etc. to to cleanse yourself from that. So one of the things that they would do is they would take the tombs and, and to make sure that no one accidentally stepped on a tomb of death, they would whitewash them. So you would see to make sure you didn't step on that and become ceremonially unclean. So Jesus said to the religious leaders, you're like that whitewashed tomb. On the outside, you look all clean. But on the inside, it's the same dead bones. And so they had their traditions. And as you've follow through the Gospels, Jesus points out to the pride and foolishness of these religious leaders. Their goal was to look good to others instead of being concerned about their actual character before God. So Paul is warning, listen, don't be caught up in the traditions. Don't be sold on a a checklist of things to do to look religious or look spiritual. That's not what it's about. And and these religious leaders of Jesus' day and these false teachers of Paul's time who were trying to infiltrate the churches, including this church in Colossae, with their, their list of rules and regulations and things to look good. Paul was saying, no, that's not what the focus needs to be because there's no change. 
It was simply a, a set of outward rules and regulations with no real change. And so he says, beware of that avenue of the false teachers, the traditions of men, but also a second, the basic principles of the world. Now the traditions of men is probably a little easier to understand. What do you mean by the basic principles of the world? And there's some different ideas on that, but, but basically how the world works. These principles could be considered or rendered earth, air, fire, and water. Also speaking of these spirits who were believed to control the events of heaven and earth. They believed that to know the elements was to understand the universe. Human wisdom to explain everything we need to know. So they would follow, and we've talked about the Gnosticism or the pre-Gnosticism there that they were bringing in, the, the Eastern philosophy that was coming into Colossae, the, the Jewish legalism. They also studied the stars, the astrologers. And so they had all of that mixed together. And they would look and try to explain things that can only be explained by the hand of God. They would try to explain that through human philosophy and human wisdom. An example of this in today's world would be evolution. What is evolution? Evolution is an attempt to explain our existence apart from God. But think about it, if you take evolution to its logical end, it will lead to several conclusions. It will teach us that we are here by random chance. And that there's nothing beyond our life here on earth. It teaches that there is really no creator who holds things together. And with that, there is no God who is actively involved in the universe. And also, there is no God actively involved in our lives. And so the danger of, of attempting to, to explain things that can only be explained through the hand and power of God by human ideas, human wisdom, human philosophy. Paul warned that in the end times, it's going to get worse. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, he says this, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. In Acts chapter 20, Paul was speaking to the leaders of the church at Ephesus and he was just about ready to leave them and he knew they were going to be facing an incredible amount of persecution and false teaching. And he warns them this in Acts chapter 20, verses 29 and 30. He says, for I know this, Paul speaking to these church leaders, he says, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. I, I recently heard a man speak and he was sharing about a survey of, of Protestant pastors. And over 3,000 pastors were surveyed and, and here is some of the results. 
and I jotted some of them down as I was listening. Many of those surveyed, and he didn't give an exact number, but a number of them did not even believe in a personal God. 56% rejected the virgin birth of Christ. Why is that important? Well, without the miraculous virgin birth, we see that Jesus Christ would have been born of human parents and therefore born into sin and could not be that perfect sacrifice. 71% rejected the idea of life after death. If that's the case, what are we here for? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die. 54% rejected the bodily resurrection of Christ. (laughs) Makes for a pretty sad Easter. The resurrection is just as important as the death because it emphasizes that Jesus can give us victory over sin through the sacrifice, but victory over death through the resurrection. Approximately 90% did not believe in the personal return of Jesus Christ to the earth. We know that Jesus Christ will come again. We are in a battle. Our culture questions the idea of absolute truth. Something that's right for all people at all times. In all situations. Instead, the the idea that truth can be relative. Well, what's truth for you is not necessarily truth for me. We see a rejection of God's plan and the principles of God's Word. An example of that seen in today's world is God's plan for marriage. The world looks at it much differently. God's plan for relationships. The world looks at it much differently. We've even come to an assault of God's wisdom in creating us as who we are, male and female. And oftentimes they would try to use things that sounded good, but I I tell you today, things, I mean, you listen to some of the things that are said and you're like, what? I mean, this is silly. Can't explain. Now, obviously, we need to love. We need to stand for the truth, stand for the truth in love. So if we ended at verse 8, it would seem pretty desperate. But I don't want us to consider that because God gives us hope. And we see that in verses 9 and 10. We see a solution to the problem. For those people in Colossae and for us, the understanding of what life is all about and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. The solution is a recognition of who Christ is and then submitting ourselves to Him. We find the fullness of Christ in verses 9 and 10. Verses 9 and 10 says this, For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. 
These verses reiterate the description of Christ that we looked at a few weeks ago in chapter 1, verses 15 through 19. He is God. Completely, fully God. There are three principles, if you look at verses 9 and 10, that that Paul brings out to help us understand Jesus Christ and our relationship with Him. First, we see that Jesus is fully God. He uses the term, in in Him dwells all the fullness. All the fullness means the sum total of all that God is. Jesus is not part God, but all God. The false teachers were teaching that Jesus was a partial emanation of God. They believed that the fullness of God was divided into these partial emanations, Jesus being one of them. And so Jesus was a good teacher. Jesus brought part of our understanding of God, but not all. But Paul said Jesus is fully God. And all of God is found in Jesus. All the fullness, the sum total of all that God is. Secondly, we are complete in Him and in nothing else. We see that in the beginning of verse 10. And you are complete in Him. The false teachers believe that salvation came, a relationship with God came through Jesus plus. But Paul reminds us that salvation comes in Christ alone. And you say, well, we don't have those Gnostic teachers today. But yet it's the same worldly philosophy. How do you have a relationship with God? Well, you, you, yeah, you, you, you follow what Jesus said. And the, and the Bible's a good God guidebook, but... You need to do certain things. You need to follow some rules. You need to be better than your neighbor. You need to be kind. Now, it's good to be kind. It's good to love your neighbor. But, if that's where we're putting our trust into how to have a relationship with God, it's going to fail miserably because we fail miserably. We are complete in Him and nothing else. Our hope is placed in Christ. If you remember the last song we sang, Cornerstone, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. It's in Christ alone. The cornerstone that we can have hope. We are complete in Him. And the third we see is that Jesus is head over all both physical and spiritual realms. The end of verse 10 says, who, Jesus, is the head of all principality and power. Now they use the term that principality and power. It's the idea of the spiritual world. Not only is creator of the physical world, but He is in charge of it all. He's in charge of the universe, both physical and spiritual. Jesus Christ is head of all. Colossians 1.16 Again, that we looked at in that description of Christ, the amazing description there in chapter 1, but verse 16 says, For by Him, for by Christ, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through Him and for Him. 
And what does all mean? All means all. That's all all means. He created it all, and it is all for Him. And in order to have that right relationship with God, we must recognize that He is the one who brings us hope. It's in Christ and Christ alone. So here in these verses, Paul lays it out. Philosophy or Christ? I should say worldly philosophy or Christ. And we have a choice. What are we going to follow? Are we going to follow human wisdom? Or are we going to follow Jesus Christ? In Christ alone, our cornerstone, we can have hope and forgiveness. Let's pray. Father, as we come before You, may we recognize that You as Almighty God sent Your Son Jesus Christ to die for us and that our hope is in Christ alone. Lord, help us to recognize that that any worldly philosophy, any ideas and plans of men will fail. And we must trust in You and You alone. And Lord, we will give You the glory for what You have done, what You are doing and will continue to do in our lives And we are so grateful for the hope of eternity that we have in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.